prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the reading of God's Word. Gracious Lord, only by the power of your Spirit may we hear you speak. And so we pray that you would speak to us, that you would visit us in time, speak your word afresh to us, and give us ears that will hear and hearts that will receive, and souls that will respond in faith to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name for his sake. Let us hear the word of God, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atones for. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Worship is at the heart of the Christian faith. It is the sacred fire that burns in the heart of the true believer. Jesus said that the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. And the passage that we have read from Isaiah chapter 6 sets forth some biblical principles for worship and in a way sets forth an outline of worship on which our own order of worship is based. And I've already called attention to the fact that this morning we have entered into the presence of God, singing praise. In fact, this morning singing the very words of Scripture, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, the song of the angelic beings, the song of the triumphant saints around the throne of heaven. The experience of Isaiah was unique to him as a prophet, having the veil of time and eternity pulled away so that he could see into heaven. 
but it is recorded in Scripture for us so that we might know that when we gather together on the Lord's Day in worship, we are, as Isaiah wrote, we are drawn up into the worship of the heavenly throne room. We're joining together with the angelic beings and the saints triumphant around the throne of God. We can't see it. It's invisible to us. But it is nevertheless a spiritual reality. And that's the first thing that we learn from this passage. Isaiah was in the temple, the physical temple that Solomon built, that stood in Jerusalem at that time. But suddenly he found himself, as it were, in heaven. Famous Greek word. We're in a physical building in Monroe, Louisiana. But by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are, spiritually speaking, drawn up, brought up into heaven. If only, if only we could see. But, but of course, we could not bear that sight. But what we learn from Isaiah 6 is that worship centers on the holiness of God. The majesty, the glory, the greatness of the King, high and lifted up. And therefore, as a basic principle of worship, worship must first of all and foremost be God-centered. When we engage in worship, our hearts and our minds are to be drawn to and focused upon the King, His greatness. His glory, His goodness, His mercy, His power, His truth, His righteousness, His love. To say it another way, and it's a basic principle for us, each time we gather for worship, worship is all about God. It's not about us. We don't gather here on Sunday mornings to be entertained. We don't gather here for a pleasant experience. We gather here to offer the Lord the glory and the honor which is due to Him and to offer Him our praises, our prayers, to hear His Word and to renew our covenant with Him. Worship in spirit and in truth is an offering of ourselves to the One who is holy, holy, holy. And also, as I mentioned with the children, when we gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, we're gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We always need to remember that when we gather on Sunday morning, we're gathering to celebrate the salvation that Christ has won for us. And we're gathering in His presence to be renewed in faith by Him and to hear His Word and to be strengthened for service in this world. If only we could see, if only we could see what Isaiah saw in his vision. But, no, we couldn't bear, we couldn't bear the vision of such divinity. But the vision recorded for us in Scripture is to inspire our offering of worship. The Scripture says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and we through through faith are called to do just that. And that means that when we enter into worship each Lord's Day, we are to enter with the awareness that we truly are in God's presence in a special way, joining our voices together 
with the congregation of heaven. That our voices in singing the hymns that we sing and the offering of our prayers, our voices are mingled with theirs. The angels, the saints triumphant, our worship ascends, as it were, supernaturally into the throne room of God. And so maybe it would be a good idea. How about this? Maybe it would be a good idea for us to stop talking about going to church on Sunday and instead thinking of it as going to heaven. Going to heaven. Going to gather with the angels and the saints triumphant around the throne to worship the Holy Spirit and to hear His word. Because the scripture says that by the blood of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into the Holy of Holies. We have been made to be priests of His kingdom, entering in to offer sacrifices of worship to the Lord God Almighty and His Son. That's the reason we begin each service with a call to worship and a hymn of praise. We praise God because He is praiseworthy. We praise Him for who He is. Holy, 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 infinite, eternal, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, righteous, true, good, kind, gracious, all-powerful. So when we sing the hymns, old, new, traditional, contemporary, let us do what the Lord commands us to do. Sing and if you if you say you can't sing, if you say you can't sing, well, that's no excuse. The Lord says, make a joyful noise. So you can make a joyful noise even if you say you can't sing. The one who created you calls you to sing for his glory. So singing to God is a significant spiritual experience even if you sing poorly. So, remember, you're not singing for yourself. You're singing for the King of Heaven who delights to hear your prayer. Worship begins with praising God for who He is. But then, as we've seen from Isaiah 6, worship moves to the realization of who we are. Sinners who are unworthy to be in the presence of the Holy One. That's what happened in Isaiah 6. Veiled time and eternity was, was pulled back. The veil between heaven and earth was, was pulled back. Suddenly, Isaiah was there. He was in the throne room. He saw the king high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy. And he was suddenly stricken with a traumatic sense of his own sinfulness. Cut down, laid low. Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am ruined. I am undone. I am doomed. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That was Isaiah's way of confessing that he was a sinner. For Isaiah to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. He was saying everything about him mouth speaks what resides in the heart. 
for Isaiah to say that he is a man who dwells in the midst of a people of unclean. He was identifying himself with his people, acknowledging that the whole lot are sinners in need of mercy. It's very instructive here. As you see, when the veil between heaven and earth was pulled away, when Isaiah was supernaturally lifted up into heaven, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, the train of the globe filled with sinners, the smoke of worship ascending and filling the temple, the angelic beings, six-winged angelic beings, In the heavenly worship service, he did not say, Oh, wow, this is cool. What a great sound and light show. Hey, I'm going to like this. I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. That's not what he said. That's not what we ought to say with regard to worship. It's not a show. Nothing about it is a show. But Isaiah said when he saw the heavenly throne is, I'm doomed because I don't belong here. I have no right to be here. That was his confession of sin. And therefore, following this biblical pattern, you see, we include a confession of sin in each of our services. We begin with praise because of who God is. And then we offer confession because of who we are. And the prayers of confession, this liturgy that we have each Sunday, is not intended to be merely a religious ritual. Not something that we do as a matter of custom. The prayers of confession are intended to be a guide for each one of us, personally and individually, so that we as individuals in spirit and in truth may confess our own personal and particular sins to the Lord. Prayers of confession are not magic. They're not mumbo-jumbo that we just mumble by reading ink off of a page and assume that thereby we are forgiven? Of course not. That's not true confession. True confession is the heartfelt acknowledgement that we have sinned against the Holy One and we are desperately in need of forgiveness. If it doesn't feel that way to you in a given worship service, I, I would encourage you to spend some time following the service alone, at home, perhaps reading back through the prayer of confession when it is in a printed form. Use it as a guide by which you can examine your own life, by which you can confess your sins in a more personal way, a more particular way, seeking the mercy of the Lord. 
And now back to Isaiah. Back to the, the drama of heavenly worship. Something very, very interesting and something very, very significant happens at this point. As I said in Sunday school, it's, it's, it's really my favorite part of this passage. Isaiah tells us that, that after he's cried out, Woe is me! One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. What is this? What's happening here? Well, in this heavenly vision, Isaiah saw a demonstration, an illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ applied to himself personally. That's right. Even though Isaiah lived more than 700 years before Jesus, you see, in this vision of heaven which transcends time, he saw a picture of the gospel, a burning coal from the altar which would take away his sin. What was that burning coal from the altar? Well, let me ask you, what happens on an altar? On an altar, a sacrifice is made. Well, do you think in heaven that there are burnt offerings, literally offered in heaven? Can't be. No. The altar. What was the altar that Isaiah saw? By the power of the Holy Spirit, 700 years before the time of Christ, what was that altar that he saw? He saw the true altar. The true altar on which God would offer the sacrifice for the forgiveness of all our sins. The true altar on which God Himself would offer the sacrifice to take away our guilt. The true altar of the cross. And what was that burning coal from that altar? Well, what do you think of when you think of something that is burning? White hot. Coal. You couldn't touch. Well, in the Scripture, the image of something burning, something hot, speaks of the fury, the fire of the wrath of God. Condemnation in the lake of fire. Hell. Jesus Christ on the cross for us the fury the fire of the wrath of God he Jesus Christ is that burning coal which Isaiah prophetically saw and the angels brought that burning coal and placed it on Isaiah's lips because Isaiah had said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so the angel said, well, then I have something to purify. I have something to take away your sin. I have something to atone for your guilt. And he took the burning coal representing Jesus Christ on the cross, representing Jesus 
who would offer up himself on the cross to suffer the furious fire of the wrath of God for us. He took that burning coal and applied it to Isaiah's lips and said, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And this, brothers and sisters, is a demonstration and an illustration of the promise of the gospel that we have through Jesus Christ. As John wrote in his first epistle, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so following that pattern, we have that same assurance of pardon in our worship service following the confession of sins. When the assurance of pardon is given to those who truly repent of their sins and trust in Christ, that is like the seraphim touching Isaiah's lips with the burning coal. It is the application of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your life personally on the basis of God's promise, on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross for you, on the basis of the truth of God's Word. I or another pastor am declaring to all those who truly repent of their sins and look to Christ for their salvation, your sin is taken away, your guilt is atoned for through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the great gospel that we gather to celebrate every day, every Sunday. And that's the reason that this is such, has such a special significance in the worship service. When we realize that we really are in the presence of the Holy One, then we realize that we really have no right to be here. But it is God Himself who provides a way. It is God Himself who provides the welcome into His presence. It is God Himself who offered up His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we could be welcomed into His presence. It is as though, at that point, in the assurance of pardon, God Himself is saying to you, you are welcome in my presence. Come. Come. Draw near to me as I have drawn near to you through my Son, Jesus Christ. Praise, confession, assurance. This is the order we learn from Isaiah's vision reflected in our own service. And then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him, calling Isaiah into his service. The voice of the Lord said, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? This was Isaiah's call into the service of God, by the word of God. And this is exactly what we are to hear when we hear the scripture expounded in a sermon. Having been welcomed into the presence of God, we ought to be expectantly, actively, attentively listening to the Word of God. We all are called to give ear to the Word of God and to respond in faith, saying, Here am I. Send me. Now, for us, this is a very important point. 
Because if you come expecting to hear the Word of God, if you come praying to hear the Word of God, if you come praying for your neighbor to hear the Word of God, then the hearing of a sermon becomes, in fact, a supernatural spiritual experience. It's, it's not merely an ordinary, natural, human experience. Not when we enter into it with faith and seeking to hear the Word of the Lord by the Spirit of the Lord. I can speak to your ears. I can speak words, natural human words, out of my natural mouth. It goes across the airways. It hits your eardrum. It goes into your brain. And you, you understand what has been said. I can speak to your head. But only God can speak to your heart. Only God can take human words and apply them to your inmost being. And that's what we want to happen. We want God's Word to speak to us, to convict us of our sins, to comfort us with the Gospel, to direct our steps in life. <coughs> Only God Himself can do that. And so, that is the reason that it's so important for us to come expectantly in faith and spiritually prepared to receive His Word. And then Isaiah responded, Here am I, send me. And in response to the Word of God, so we too are to say, Here am I, send me. After each sermon, we stand, we affirm our faith. That's our way of saying, yes, Lord, I believe. Lord, you have spoken your word to me. You have spoken the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. I believe it. I reaffirm it. And now we stand to say together, yes, Lord, we believe. We say, here am I, send me, when we offer our prayers to the Lord. And we pray for one another. And we pray for our missionaries on the field. And we, we pray for the needs of the world and the concerns of our nation and all nations. Here am I. Send me through the ministry of prayer. We say, here am I. Send me when we put ourselves in the offering plate. The tokens of our lives. A way of our saying, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. And use these tokens of my life, of my life for the sake of your kingdom in this world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build up your church in Christ. And finally, in conclusion, having been caught up into heaven on the first day of the week, having been renewed in faith and strengthened by the Word and refreshed by the Spirit, again we sing a hymn of thanks, a hymn of dedication, a hymn of commitment, and now we are ready to go back into the world. We're being ready to be sent as citizens of heaven into the world to bear witness to the living and true God, to say to this world, this world is not all there is. To say to this world, this world has a Lord, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, who rules all, all over all. To say to this world, there is a way of salvation. There is a way of everlasting life. There is a way of peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God sends us forth with His charge to obedience.
and the, pro- and the promise of His blessing. That we, having joined together in the worship of heaven, may now live that out in our lives on earth. To the glory of His name, let us